Should we as Christians be surprised when trials come along? Question for us to think about. So far in his letter from, from Peter, it's been full of just real promise and hope about the imperishable hope that we have in Christ, about the victory that he's won, that we're holy people, we're, we're living stones in his temple. It's been full of promise and encouragement. But as we kind of get into it a little bit, Peter now in chapter four, he's beginning to turn his focus to suffering, to how do we as Christians respond to suffering? Should we be surprised when it comes? And, and, we, and I want us to spend a little bit of time looking at that today. If you've been following the series closely, you'll know that we've kind of been, we, we jumped forward a little bit uh, into chapter five last week uh, where, where Steve came and brought a word, but I'm actually going to kind of rewind a little and, and, and go back into chapter four, uh, picking up from verse 12, where Hillary left off two weeks ago for kind of finish through. And so we're going to look at these few verses from 1 Peter 4, 12, through to 19, looking at this question, well, how, how do we respond to suffering as Christians? And, and I think there's three things in here for us that, that we can draw out that will help us. So let's read the passage together from uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of God. So the, the first thing that Peter, I guess, instructs us with comes in, in, in the very first verse. He, he says, don't be surprised, but rejoice. And he says it that when, he says, when the fiery trial comes, don't be surprised. Notice that, that Peter doesn't say if the trial comes. He's saying when. This is going to happen. There is, there is going to be trials and temptations that, that come along and tribulations. And, and in some ways, he's trying to prepare them for that. You know, surprise, I don't know if you've ever been surprised yourself. Sometimes when something takes you by surprise, it's usually seen as quite a negative thing. It's like, I didn't expect this to happen. It's taken me by surprise. In fact, uh, Sun Tzu, who's a kind of a, an old uh, Chinese kind of uh, general, in his book, The Art of War, talks about how the greatest weapon is the element of surprise. We've seen that in military history. You think about the, the naval attack on Pearl Harbor in World War II by the Japanese. It was catastrophic for the Americans. And the main reason was is because it was a surprise. They were unprepared. They didn't know it was coming and so they couldn't kind of adjust. It just happened so quick. And it kind of it gets us thinking that, that sometimes in our spiritual lives, in the spiritual battle that we face, the enemy wants to use surprise to try and catch us off guard. And Peter is trying to encourage the early church here to encourage us 
No, know that this is going to come so that you can put up some defences, that you won't be caught off guard, that it won't be a surprise to you, that it removes that kind of element of weaponry that Satan might use to surprise us when trials come. She's basically saying, no, almost, almost expect it in some way. And you have to remember that he, he's writing to the early church, this letter, who would have found this kind of idea of suffering and trial really difficult. Because they believe Jesus has come. He's, he's, he's ascended to glory. He's, he's defeated the power of sin and death. They thought this is like victory march now. We're, we're, we're onwards and upwards. But we're still facing trials and, and difficulty. So they were surprised that they were still going against it. And Peter said, no, don't, don't be surprised when it comes. In fact, what he says is do something very, very different. He says, instead, you should rejoice. So instead of just being surprised by it, instead he says, no, you, you should rejoice when it comes. Because whenever hardship comes, and it will come to many of us, he's saying here, when it comes, it can be difficult. I once heard one Puritan, uh, or read a Puritan say that there's a quote, that, that, that hardship often is the ship that God uses to bring us to the port of maturity. In fact, that's the point that, that Paul makes in, in Romans 5. When you read Romans 5, Paul basically says this, doesn't he, about it? He says, listen, we should rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This idea that often in the Christian life there's, there's going to be hardship. Jesus said to himself, if you follow me, you're going to face trouble. But what you often see when it comes, it, 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 it produces character. It produces, many of us will know, you've been through a difficult season in life, you've been through a difficult spell. When you come out the other side, you see how God has used that to mature you, to, to grow you, to develop you as a believer. And, and, so, and so Peter is kind of just warning them up front, listen, it's going to come. Don't be surprised when it does, but instead, rejoice. And I just want to talk about that for a while because there's a big difference isn't there, between just accepting something or rejoicing about it. I often find that our society is one of those kind of cultures where we're like, and is what it is kind of type thing. You, you go through something difficult, you think, oh, well, I've, I've just got to accept it. it. You know, it is what it is. I'm, I'm not happy about it, but uh, it's, Peter doesn't say, you know, uh, instead, just accept it. You know, he doesn't say, oh, don't be surprised, just accept it. He says, no, rejoice, because when you just accept something, Let's say you have a, a manager at work or a colleague at work who makes a decision that you're not happy with. You think, I'm not happy with it, but you know what? I'll just accept it. In the end, you do that for, for long enough, it can actually lead to maybe resentment, maybe anger, bitterness, despair, discouragement. Peter said, no, don't just accept it. I want you to rejoice. Rejoice that, that knowing because re rejoicing leads to joy, leads to praise, leads to hope. He said, I want you to rejoice. Why? Because in your suffering, he says, he says, this has happened to you insofar as you share with Christ's suffering, that you'll also share of his glory. He's basically saying, did, did Christ not suffer? In, in the same way that, that we share with Christ in his sufferings, how much more are we going to share with Christ in his glory? That's why you can rejoice. You're going through a difficult time, something's going on, you, you, you're feeling that. Don't, don't be, oh, just accept it. Say, you know what, I'm rejoicing in it because in the end, it's producing in me, I'm, I'm suffering, knowing that in the end, 
I'll have glory with Christ. And in fact, Peter goes on to, to, to literally say, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, yeah, it says you're blessed. I love that. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, he says, you're actually, you're going to be blessed. It's, um, Jesus himself said that in, in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted in my name. See, he's trying to tie these things together, Peter, to encourage us, to, to, to strengthen us. And, and it's just worth noting, actually, that this type of, you and I, right, if we're insulted, often we'll be thinking about, in this day and age, it might be someone's made an accusation against you or there's a bit of gossip or someone's just said something not very nice or unpleasant. It almost is quite a shallow level, but the insults that Peter's talking about here is, 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 is I guess, a much bigger deal than that. This was an honour and shame culture. This was people where, in fact, to be associated with Christ, you were, you were disregarded, you were insulted, you were pushed to the side. It's like, how can you be associated with Christ? And they went through much difficulty and he's, and he's kind of trying to encourage him out of that. And it, it reminded me when I was kind of preparing for this of, of, of a story actually of, about a man in the 1980s in, in Rwanda, a Christian, followed Christ, but was from part of a region where actually they, there, was, there was real hatred towards that. You were insulted, you were ostracized. In fact, they inflicted, they said, if you, if you carry on professing Jesus, if you carry on being a Christian, you're going to face death. Deny Jesus or die. And the, the man refuses to deny Christ and they kill him there. He literally dies. And moments after, or days after, I should say, there was, uh, th th there was a room that was found uh, where he'd stayed and he'd written a poem. It's gone down as, 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 as kind of a poem called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. And I just want to read you a part of that poem. It says this. He said, my pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guard reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be brought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, diluted or delayed. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognising me. My colours will be clear. Wow, what, what an inspiration. I, I can't be the only one who, who... And there's other stories that we'll know of, 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 of amazing Christians in the past that have literally given their lives to follow Christ or have gone through intense hardship. And sometimes you read it and it just ch it challenges me. I'm thinking, Lord, I, how would I fare up? Because we have to be honest, here in the West... We haven't faced that sort of persecution or trials. And, and in fact, it would, it would almost make a mockery of those that have if we were to act like we did. Because there's people, even today around the world, Christians, who face imprisonment, who face death for the family and themselves to follow Christ, going through real trials. Now, that's not to say that, that none of us in the West have faced suffering and difficulty and have been through trials in our lives, because of course we haven't. Maybe even you, you think, no, my life has had real difficulty. And I don't doubt that at all. But in terms of just pure persecution for our faith, being ostracized or, or, or beaten or abused or neglected or, or these things for our faith, we've been privileged in this nation that, that we haven't really had that. But I do believe this message is so important for us because I think that these days could be coming. We're living in times where even now, just to stand by 
pretty just conservative Christian principles about marriage or gender or sexuality, you, you can find yourself in really murky waters. You can find yourself actually, particularly if you work in a public sector, maybe you're a teacher or, or, or work in the NHS or you work for a charity or suddenly you, you feel like actually if, if I was to, to vocalise some of the things that, that I believe, I, I'd find myself in some real difficulty. Like a friend of mine in the church who's got a cousin who's a teenager in London and not even that long ago sat down by a group of peers and basically told, you know, knowing that she's a Christian, what do you believe about about gender, for example, or sexuality, what do you believe about it? And, and when she gave her, her, her opinion, saying, I hold to pretty Christian views, pretty kind of biblical principles, traditional Christian views on it, basically said, well, we, we, you're outside of this friendship group. We, we, don't want, we, we, don't really, we don't really want to associate ourselves with you anymore. And you think, wow. In days of cancel culture, in these sort of days, there could be days coming where to, to hold by Christian principles could find ourselves maybe losing friends, maybe being, maybe even risking employment. And so we have to kind of take these words quite seriously to think, I oh, know, you know, at what point are we going to stand by? Now, now, let me just say this. As Christians, we also need to, you know, we want to adhere to the call of, of just being wise. Jesus said to us, listen, you need to be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. We don't, we, we, I'm not kind of condoning this to go and start, let's start stirring up controversies and, and, and kind of trying to, you know, uh, draw out conflict and, and look for these things. It would be unwise to do that. But, but there is an understanding for us to say, no, actually, if there's days coming like this, we need, to, we need to ensure that if we are insulted for Christ, if we are, if these things do come our way, in fact, he says, you're blessed. In fact, he, he goes on to, to, to say even further, actually, you know, at the end of the verse, he says, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The way that we know that we can make it through. How, how do I get through a trial like that? How do I get, when you see Christians that have suffered, or have gone through it, how do you get through it? Because the spirit of God rests upon you. He will supply you with what you need. And again, an, another famous story from history would be of Corrie ten Boom. Some of you may know that name. She was a, a Dutch girl, part of a family who they basically spent time saving and trying to help Jewish people under Nazi regime. And, and because of that, they, would have, they suffered constant threat of death, of imprisonment, of torture. There was, there was, like, their whole life would have been on the edge because if at any point they were discovered, they'd known that they, they probably would have been killed. And, and, and in a book she writes, she tells a remarkable story a kind of, of, of her kind of, I guess, expressing some of these things to her dad of like, oh, some of these kind of fears. And, and this is what she says in it. She says, father sat me down on the edge of the narrow bed. Corey, he began gently. When you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? I sniffed a few times. Considering this, why, just before we get on the train. Exactly. And our wise father in heaven knows when he's going to need things too, when we're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him, Corey. When the time comes that some of us will have to die, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. It's basically just summing up this verse. And the spirit of just in time, in your hour of need, in your hour or season of suffering, and the Lord will come. He'll give you just what you need. Sometimes we might be looking for it in advance. We say, no, when these times come, the spirit of glory and of God will rest upon you that you will do more than you even thought you could. And let's face it, Peter himself who wrote this, he knows this more than most, by the way. 
Peter was a, a coward, a Christ denier, denied Jesus in front of children, was, was betrayed him. And then you think, yeah, but months, years later, was bold enough to proclaim Christ in the face of death threats and then in the end was actually killed for it. You think, oh, what's that about? How? You think, oh, well, Peter just plucked up courage. No, the spirit of glory. Other versions say power. The spirit of power of God rested upon him. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. And it's the same power that is available to, for us as believers as we stand up in trials and difficulty and in suffering. And so he kind of ends with that. It's an encouragement when we face difficulty. But just before we kind of move on to the second point, I, it's just interesting that Peter just wants to put a little caveat in there, but let no one suffer, he says, as a, as, as, as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a meddler. And he just puts that in and... It's funny because I imagine the crowd at the time might have been quite smug, like the first two. You're hearing them thinking, murderer, yeah, you know, I'm no murderer, I'm no thief. He's an evildoer. Well, that's, that's really broad, like doing any sort of evil. And a meddler. You know, how did you put that in there? But basically, that was meddling in other people's business, putting your nose where it's not wanted. He, he's saying, don't, don't let us do that. And, and, and essentially, I think what, what Peter is kind of trying to get here is that there's a difference between suffering and finding difficulty because of uh, being insulted for Christ. But there's no glory or comfort in that when it comes to uh, us being in trials or suffering because of the result of our own sin and foolishness. Many, in many ways, he's saying, you know, if, if your sin and your foolishness and the evil that you've done has led you to face suffering trial, there, there's grace for you. There's not blessings in that. It's quite a famous uh, Matthew Henry quote who says, it's the cause, not the suffering, that makes the martyr. You know, if we're suffering for Christ, it's very different if we're suffering just because of our own sin and foolishness. There's a warning in there from Peter for us as well. And so that's the first thing, quite a, a drawn-out point, but he says basically, don't be surprised, rejoice, okay? The second thing that Peter says to us is, is quite similar. He says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but glorify God. So the first point he says is, don't be surprised, rejoice. And now he's saying, don't be ashamed, but glorify God. Peter was quite big on this in, in, in his own text. He's saying, don't be someone who is full of shame when it comes to, uh, as a Christian, he says, we need no, no shame. Whether, that's, uh, whether you're suffering, you might have been suffering for a long period. You might, have, you might have gone through a lot of trials. You might have gone through a lot of difficulty. Some of that might have been inflicted on you. And he's saying, whatever the circumstances you're in, you don't need to know shame before the Lord. And he uses the next couple of verses to explain why, which is actually quite tricky. But, but what he basically says is that we should view all of these things, the suffering and the trials that we face today, we need to view in light of judgment to come. Verse 17, he says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? What's Peter talking about here? What's the household of God? He's talking about Christians. In, in, in 1 Peter 2, he describes us as, as we are being built as living stones to the house of God. So he's, he's basically saying judgment begins in the house of God. Well, what judgment is, is Peter talking about here? Well, I think if we just turn back a couple of, couple of chapters into Peter, we know, we've read this already in 1 Peter uh, verse 6. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory. Peter, when he's talking about judgment, 
I believe here in, in this letter in particular, he's talking about fiery trials that come, difficulty that comes, suffering that comes. He's saying that when that judgment comes, when that difficulty comes, he's saying, often what's going to happen is we, is we, don't, need to be, is we don't need to feel ashamed, but also that, that judgment like that comes onto the household of God as believers, as well as coming on to those that are outside. And let me explain, let me just kind of, I guess, explain that a little bit from the verse. What he's trying to get at is that when it comes to, to how we respond, when it comes to the judgment from God, Christians are not outside of suffering, outside of God's judgment in that way. But the way that we respond is very different. There's a clear distinction because when we face trials, when we face this judgment, it's often to purify and refine and strengthen us that we may be more like him. That's what Peter's saying at the beginning, that, 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 that in the end, we go through this purification, but we know the hope we have in the future. So you, you go through judgment, but you're not without hope. You have an imperishable hope. You go through difficult in trial, but in the end, we know where our hope is. In, in many ways, for those of us in Christ, the best is yet to come. This is the worst it's going to get. If you find yourself in a trial, if you find yourself suffering, if you find yourself in difficulty, this is the worst it's going to get. Because in the end, it's going to be glory for us. But for those who aren't in Christ, those that are suffering judgment, in the end, there's no hope for them. He says, if you're outside, in fact, the best is to, this is the best it's going to get. It's only going to get worse when the judgment of God comes against those who disobey God, who don't obey him. And he's really frank and clear about that. And he kind of solidifies it and he goes on to say, listen, if the right, he quotes Proverbs 11, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter is, is trying to say that for us as believers, we will go through the judgment that we might face in trial and difficulty and suffering. In the end, he's refining us and purifying us and strengthening us and making us to be more like him that we may have something that is more perishable than gold. So he said, it's imperishable. But for those that aren't in Christ, they don't have that promise. They don't have that hope. And so it's a warning. And so that's the second thing that Peter says. And the second thing, and I guess because of that, he's saying, if you're suffering, if you're going for a difficult time, if you're in a season, some of you might be in a prolonged season of that, or when we do, we don't need to feel alone or singled out or that something's wrong with us or what have I done to deserve this. This is many, many believers have experienced. So we don't need to feel shame. He's saying, don't be ashamed, but glorify God that in this process you're being refined and, and, and strengthened and to be made more like him. Glorify him that you know that there's future glory for you. And so that's the second point that he makes. And the third thing I want to say to close, he kind of ends with this verse. She says, therefore, with all of this in mind, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. He says, whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is you're walking through, we can entrust, trust, it comes out of faith. We can trust God. We can entrust our lives to him. And Peter gives us this title, the faithful creator, the, the one who's sovereign over all things, the architect, the one who manages the whole world in his hands, who is faithful to us. He's not just a creator, he's a faithful creator. He says, entrust your soul to him, entrust your life to him, while also continuing to do good. In other words, he's saying, and it's interesting that he does say that, you know, because all of this is according to God's will. It's not outside of God's plan for our lives. And she said, no, you can trust him. The one who wants to do you good, the one who loves you and is for you, you can trust him. And he, and he, and he kind of says, while doing good. 
But while we're going through this as Christians, we should continue to be those who love others and bless others and the light in our community. Keep doing good. Keep following him. Keep going after God. You know, whether you're in a trial, whether you're going through a difficulty, keep clinging on to the faithful God and doing good. And on that, we know that we can let our ultimate example be Christ. Because he himself, the night before he dies, entrusts his own soul, entrusts his own life to the Father to go through suffering. Knowing what you'll face on the cross, he goes through suffering, he entrusts it to do good, to do the ultimate act of good. He says, no, that's what I'm going to do. I'll lay myself down that we too then can share in his glory. And so as we close, whoever we are, whatever suffering we might find ourselves in, whatever trials may be in, we might be in a prolonged season of it. Today, we can be encouraged and say, no, you know what? Today I choose to rejoice. Today I choose to entrust my soul to the Lord. Today I choose to do good, knowing that in the end, it will glorify God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're for us, that you know us. Lord, we thank you that regardless of what we're going through, regardless of what trials come our way, Lord, because of Christ, because of what he's achieved for us, we can rejoice. That we can know that you're with us, that you're for us. And Lord, I want to pray for, for all of those, even that are facing trials and difficulty now, Lord, we just pray the peace of God to be with them. Help us to be those who continually glorify you in all that we do and the way that we live our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.